Greetings. This is Phil St. Romain. Thank you for tuning in to my Awaken podcast channel. This message is entitled, Existence, God, and Faith. It's taken from a chapter about God in one of my books entitled, God and I, Exploring the Connections Between God, Self, and Ego. You can find the book on sale in paper and electronic formats through my website, shalomplace.com. That's S-H-A-L-O-M-P-L-A-C-E dot com. And now, our podcast message. There are many ways to approach the topic of God. Generally, the term is applied to a being who embodies all the various ultimacies, things like omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, immutability, and so forth. God is also generally attributed with being the creator or source of the creation, which in some systems of thought is held to be distinct from God, while in others is considered a mode of God's manifestation. Whether one really believes there is a real being or force behind this concept is another matter. So is the question of whether God is good or not. That is why in this message I'm taking the well-traveled road of speaking of God in terms of existence. This brings the matter much closer to our daily experiences, for existence is our most commonly shared experience. It is a curious thing that we hardly ever note or speak of existence. In everyday life, our attention seems more naturally drawn to existence, other people, places, things, and the relationships between them. Indeed, it is likely that we spend most of our time attending to our favorite existent, ourselves, and our fears, concerns, plans, and so forth. Our attention can be so caught up in our own thoughts that we scarcely notice the outer environment, except when something dramatic is happening. A strong clap of thunder, an electrical outage, a person hollering, and there we are, attending to something besides our inner concerns, and only for a short time. All the while there is existence, the first and greatest miracle the fact and context of everything that we will ever undergo. Unnoticed, more common than the weather, taken for granted. We would all be more grateful people if we did not take the fact of our existence for granted and stop on occasion to attend to the fact that things are. But what's to pay attention to? Fair question and also one that is difficult to answer, for existence is not one thing among other things that you can single out and notice. It is more a background ambience that makes it possible to be and to do anything. Like the fish that inquires where the ocean is, or the bird where the atmosphere is, existence surrounds us in much the same way. It is everything and everywhere. Sometimes it's helpful to consider the alternative, non-existence. What would that be like?
the mind has no response to this, for it cannot conceive of such a state except hypothetically. Even then, it does not know what to think about this topic. Non-existence? Is that like death? No, for death is the ending of something that has existed. It's difficult to conceive of non-existence following a state of existence, and so we naturally postulate our existence continuing in some other level of reality, an afterlife of some kind. Or else maybe we just deteriorate into simpler parts. Dust. But dust is something, even though we're left to wonder what happened to the consciousness that it was once connected with. Non-existence makes no sense to us, for we are existents who are imbued with existence at all levels of our being, with minds that are ordered to understand things that actually are. Non-existence is a possibility, however. Existence is not a necessity. Existence stands in relation to non-existence as light to darkness. Darkness is not something but the absence of light. Light is something. Darkness is nothing. Same for existence and non-existence. It would be possible to have only darkness. Light is not a necessity. Existence is. That's about all you can say about it without beginning to move into philosophical and theological reflection. But this is saying a lot. It is affirming the thatness or isness of reality, as distinguished from its whatness or whoness. It is even to say simply that there is reality. Between existence and non-existence there can be no intermediate state, as such would exist. No missing links here. Existence upholds and maintains itself over and against the possibility of non-existence in a manner that we do not understand. There is much mystery about this, and that's a good thing. It helps to keep us humble and grateful. Existence does not lend itself to scientific inquiry because it does not present empirical data about itself per se. Dissect any creature as carefully as you can, and you will never find existence apart from the things being dissected. We do not know what pure existence is, in isolation from its existence, but we can wonder and think about this topic anyway, and we like to do so. We can inquire into what it means simply to be, or even what isness is. The mind longs for some symbol or form to give expression to this, but it's impossible to do so. Something that is, while also remaining unmanifest, is difficult to imagine, but not impossible to conceive. Imagination is not conception. The most we can do is to conceptually affirm that pure existence, if there be such, would simply be. Theology in the Judeo-Christian tradition takes a leap here by identifying pure existence with God. When Moses asked the voice in the burning bush its name, the response was given as Yahweh, meaning, I am that I am. See 
the third chapter of the book of Exodus. What is being affirmed by Moses and those who followed is that existence itself has come forward and addressed one of its creatures to reveal something about itself, namely that it is a who, an I, who is. As St. Thomas Aquinas noted many centuries later, the name Yahweh corresponds very closely with the philosophical notion of existence itself. Existence simply is, and God is the one who is. In both cases, is means the same thing, unrestricted being. We reflected earlier on non-existence and existence, noting that existence sustains itself in a manner that we do not understand. Here we will note the understanding of God as self-sustaining being. As the old catechism booklets put it, God always is, was, and shall be. We don't understand how that works. Everything we know has had antecedents. The question, who created God, is one that cannot be answered, just as one cannot answer the question, who or what made existence. Such a maker would have to exist, hence pushing the question back another level ad infinitum. I've been in discussions where people hostile to religion have asked such questions, smirking when the responses given were inadequate. I only wish now that I had stepped up to ask what existed before existence, so they would understand what an oxymoron such an inquiry really is. And so we've made a kind of a connection from pure existence to God, at least the concepts, even though we could have spent more time reflecting on the various properties of existence, its omnipresence, for example, or indescribable qualities. The perceptive and intellectual power of the human mind can take us only so far, however. If there really is such a being as God at the heart of existence, then it, he, she, them, whatever, must come forward to address us in a manner that our consciousness can comprehend. This is not so very different as with our human relationships. Granted, we can notice others walking around, talking, working, playing, and so forth, and we can learn something about them by observing their actions. But let's suppose an individual you're studying kept a private diary, and you got hold of it. Would you not then have access to a dimension of the other's life that you might have never come to know by studying them from a more external perspective? Indeed, you would now have information about their inner thoughts, feelings, desires, and so forth. You would know more of their inner self, if, in addition, this person voluntarily shared some of those private matters with you, and you shared something of your own inner life in return, a different kind of relationship would be formed, one that is intersubjective or interpersonal. We all most likely experience this type of relationship to some degree with at least a few people in our lives, and we know how important this kind of intimacy is. Without it, our relationships are shallow, 
are functional at best. When we do experience interpersonal intimacy, we feel a sense of belonging, even love. We become part of a community, even if this includes only two. We also become known by the other and somewhat vulnerable to them in their knowing things about us that we would not want the whole world to find out. Interpersonal relationships entail risk, trust, and faith in the integrity of the other. As humans, we need relationships as surely as we need the other basics of life. Food, water, shelter, and so forth. Our closest mammalian relatives, the higher primates, are profoundly social animals, as archaeology has revealed our human ancestors to be as well. We come from, and even through, one another, are born into a family of at least two others, with other circles of relatives, friends, and teachers influencing our development. Given our human longing and need for relationship, one would expect that we might find this need accounted for, and perhaps even addressed, by the great source of our lives. Yet it is difficult to imagine having an interpersonal relationship with existence, even with a pure conceptualization thereof, as in the Tao Te Ching. Existence described therein as the Tao is wise, intelligent, all-pervading, and lawful, but not really someone you can befriend. It is good and wise to respect the Tao and align one's life with its general tendencies, but that is not the same as having an interpersonal relationship with it. Hence, revelation, or the need of it, if we are to encounter the source of our lives as some one, God must come forth, out from the mystery of existence, to address us, to share with us who God is, how God feels about us, what is expected of us, how we might be in relationship with God as individuals and as communities. How could it be otherwise? That's how it works in our human relationships. We must share our inner thoughts, feelings, dreams, and expectations with one another to be known by one another. It cannot be otherwise if we are to know God and be known by God for we bring the very same human nature to such a relationship as we do to other humans. It is here that Western religions declare that God has indeed taken the initiative to invite relationship with us. From the call of Abraham to the encounter with Moses in the burning bush, through the prophets and other agents, Jews, Christians, and Muslims declare that God has opened for us the possibility of relationship with the divine itself. Christians take matters even further, holding that God has become incarnate as the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who demonstrates in human terms God's love and forgiveness for us. God also reveals and shares the Holy Spirit, the intimate love that is intrinsic to God's own nature. Obviously, science has nothing to say about any of this. Neither does philosophy. 
revelation cannot be proven or disproven by science or philosophy. One must carefully evaluate the evidence, but even here one can only go so far. There are reasons to believe in a personal God and reasons not to. Also, as with any other relationship, there are risks involved. Suppose one opens oneself to the possibility that God can actually be encountered and seeks to meet God, but nothing happens. Then what? Suppose something does happen, however. Even more questions. Fortunately, many men and women through the centuries have taken this leap of faith, and we can learn from their wisdom and experiences through the religions they belong to. Communities have formed to provide assistance as well. There we find relationship with other kindred spirits who have also opened themselves to God, and we can journey with them as fellow children of God. It would be odd, indeed, if the God who created us to seek relationship with one another did not also encourage this as part of the life of faith. A few questions for you to reflect on. Number one, what is your conception of God? How did you come to this understanding? Number two, how do you experience God in your life? What helps you to connect with God? Number three, God and Revelation. How could we know if God had revealed God's self in a religious tradition? What kind of evidence do you look for would be meaningful to you?